This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Let's face it, bookkeeping is hard, and it's not really what you're good at anyway. Bench.co is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. Check it out at bench.co slash JavaScript Jabber for 20% off today. They focus on what matters most, and that's why they're there. Once again, that's bench.co slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code JavaScriptJabber, you'll get a $10 credit. So welcome everyone to JavaScript Jabber. This week we are at Build Conference. AJ and I are here. Uh, we're talking to Jeremy. What's your last name, Jeremy? It's like Jeremy Thake. He's from Microsoft. He works on the Office 365 team, and so we thought we would uh, take a few minutes and talk to him, see what uh, Microsoft 360 is all about, and how it applies to JavaScript. So, is there is there more of an introduction you want to give, Jeremy? Or yeah, I'm uh, I've been in Microsoft for two years. So before before that, I was actually a partner building kind of solutions on top of SharePoint, and uh, kind of Microsoft were like, you can come over to the marketing side. So I'm actually a technical product management, um, kind of focused on Office 365 all up. It's a big kind of thing to own because it's not just, as I said, SharePoint. It's also kind of Office as a client, whether that's on the Mac, PC, iPhone, Windows 32, or even the UWP stuff that you know we've been talking about a mm-hmm. lot of build. And then obviously the browser version of Office right. and how you can extend Office across all those platforms. And then because what we're running is in Office 365 is a cloud service, all our APIs are kind of can be hooked into as well, and we, we call that the Microsoft Graph. So, kind of the three things that we, we focus on as we as we go forward with it. Gotcha. Um, I'm also going to put a link in the show notes. We had somebody on Adventures in Angular talking about building those extensions with Angular. Oh yeah, was that Dan Wallin or who was that? No, it wasn't Dan Wallin. It was somebody else. But oh, okay. Anyway, it was really interesting. So you you can effectively extend Office with HTML. And CSS, yeah, HTML and JavaScript. Traditionally, like the one I always use is Zopni, which was inbox backwards, which uh-huh. was the one in Outlook, and you selected a mail, and it allowed you to kind of see more information about that user, which kind of Outlook almost does now. But five, six years ago, that was kind of all the rage was to have that plugin installed. Mm-hmm. But that was a com plugin, so it was built using C sharp, and it was managed code, it was compiled. Right. Um, you had to ship like an MSI on everybody's PCs that they run to get it installed on mm-hmm. the machine. And so we realized that's not going to work when we want to try and 
release add-ins that are available, not just for Windows, but also for the Mac, iOS, and Android eventually. And so they kind of looked at the architecture and decided, actually, this makes more sense if we do it as HTML and JavaScript and not run it as part of the, the Office client. So it's not kind of impacting the performance of Outlook. It's running inside an iframe within the Office client, no matter what platform Office is running okay. on and essentially use JavaScript and our API, the office.js framework, to communicate back into the host, whether it be Outlook, Word, PowerPoint, mm-hmm. Excel, and this week we've actually announced OneNote. So you can build add-ins using HTML and JavaScript across all of those platforms, which is pretty cool. So what you're telling me is that not just the... Because I've seen the web version of Office 365, but back in the day when I used Outlook, it was a desktop application, so you can write right. your plugins for your desktop applications with JavaScript? Right, and and so the same code will essentially allow you to run it whether I'm Outlook Win32, whether I'm Outlook Online in my browser, uh, whether I'm Outlook on my Mac, Outlook mm-hmm. on my iPhone, those things, it'll all, all show up. And, and essentially, we just the, each of those platform hosts understands how to you know work with the HTML and JavaScript that's hosted. Um, so it kind of gives you a way that you know we couldn't put COM on an iPad mm-hmm. version of Outlook, so we had to work away architecturally right. to do that. Is the data structure for each, I imagine there's, there's a data structure for Excel, there's a data structure for Word, and are those the same as what were in the binary files, or is it a completely different type yeah, of data now? good question. So the way that you interact, we have different shapes that can appear in Office. So you can have like a task pane that shows up on the right-hand side. Uh, you can have what we call a content add-in, which is essentially a piece of content that lands in PowerPoint that you can add to a slide, or lands almost like a chart in Excel, or... You can have ribbon buttons as well in Word, PowerPoint, Excel, Outlook as well. And when you click off the ribbon buttons, essentially it's executing JavaScript behind the scenes. And then you can say, like, you know, I want to pop up to say that that button's completed or maybe a status bar shows up on the top. And in terms of the data structures, obviously COM did a lot more because essentially with COM you could totally transform Outlook, Word, PowerPoint, Excel because you owned the whole UI. So you could override pretty much the whole of the Office client. With Office add-ins, we've put it a bit more on Rails and said, here are the shapes you can have in each of these products because now we're not just maintaining this on Windows Office, we're maintaining it across all the other platforms of Office. And then the Office JS calls allow me to do things like, I'm in my taskbar and I want to inject content into Word. Like, I'm going to inject this photo or I'm going to inject this body of open XML text with formatting. And so those APIs, the Office API calls, there's some common ones. Like, it makes sense to have the ability to insert into the body of an email or insert into the body of a Word document or to a slide in PowerPoint. But then there's some special APIs that you can call for each individual client. So for instance, in Excel, you can insert special formulas into cells based on like, you know, the X, Y coordinates on the the sheet. And so you kind of can learn one, like it's very easy to learn for Outlook. And then, you know, oh, I want to build a Word add-in, like the format, the API is exactly the same shape and the way you call things is the same it's just that now you've just got different hooks that you can take advantage of in word that you couldn't in outlook because of the context of the client you're in okay so there's because i was just thinking of data apis like you know that i guess a docx is just a zip file that has some xml inside right but there's an api for ui elements right so that no matter which platform you're on the ui elements are similar correct and then the way you interact with the data i.e. the document itself you're right so it's a doc it's a pptx essentially that's a, a compressed file but when you open it up it's a bunch of xml files and the format's called open xml uh, and what you do is our api is kind of 
do that translation for you. So you don't have to write in OpenXML if you want. You can just kind of add text into a Word document like you would assume, like setting a string variable to an API call. But you can actually also, if you're very knowledgeable on OpenXML, kind of throw an OpenXML string at it as well. So you can do a lot more complex creation of documents that way as well. But in terms of like, because you're hosted as JavaScript in the Office client, you don't need to have access to like manipulate the document itself. Everything's bridged by the Office JS calls. So like, whatever you do with Office JS, it's just manipulating the underlying document or email for the sake of Outlook. So it seems like there are two different types of APIs we're talking about. One is, as AJ pointed out, the data APIs. And, you know, I know that uh, with Office 365 being in the cloud, on the web, and on client machines like your iPhone or things like that, yeah. that, that there's some data that can be passed around. And then there are the other APIs, which are more the programmatic APIs, put a button here, put a, you know, right. that kind of thing. So what kinds of data can you push around or pull around? Yeah, is so it just documents on the document level, or is there more data than that? Yeah, so essentially the, the best way to manipulate it is if you have the documents living in OneDrive or OneDrive for Business, mm-hmm. you can get at those via the Microsoft Graph APIs. The Microsoft which API? The Microsoft Graph API. Oh, Graph so API. Graph, okay. Sorry, it's my accent. Uh, mm-hmm. Graph.microsoft.com, and then essentially it's all versions, so you go V, V1.0, WAC, okay. me, WAC, Drive. And that allows me to get at all of the files that are hosted in OneDrive. And so, you know, in the scenario, you would either download the document, manipulate it, and then re-upload it. But we actually announced a new API endpoint as part of the graph uh, this week, which is called the Excel REST API. And what that allows me to do, uh, and we've had it traditionally in uh, SharePoint Serverland. It was called the um, Excel Services API. Mm-hmm. What it allows me to do is, if my Excel document's like living in OneDrive or OneDrive for Business... I can, with one REST call, essentially add a row to an Excel file or remove a row from an Excel file or query an Excel file and and get out the chart as a JPEG to then use in my web application. And all that's just using standard REST and OAuth to authenticate to get the tokens to make the call. That's cool. And and so that's really nice because it's, you know, there's a lot of businesses that run on Excel. Being able to programmatically get at that data that lives in that sheet without having to download it and use like a... you know, there's a bunch of different SDKs out there that can read Excel files locally. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to install Office on your server to be able to manipulate documents. You just call the service, the Excel REST endpoint, and it can manipulate that. And, and in the future, we'll actually be able to do that with Word as well, which is, which is going to be nice. So one of the things that I don't like about Google Docs is that there's no actual document, right? Like when I have Google Drive, right. there are none of those spreadsheets actually exist. Yeah. When Google Drive went down a couple months ago for like four hours, couldn't access any of my stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it sounds like with the Microsoft OneDrive APIs, you're saying you've got the file, it's on your computer, it's like a legit real file that I can open up with a program, but you're allowing access to that through the API so that like it's connected with OneDrive and it's going to sync back to the computer? Yeah, uh, yeah. okay, let me, uh, without using my hands too much because I know we're on an audio podcast, but essentially what, the way that OneDrive and OneDrive for Business works is very much like Dropbox or SugarSync or Box. Uh, you can upload documents into your Drive or Google Drive. You can upload it into the cloud, but then there's a sync client that allows me to synchronize that locally. But in terms of, like, if you're trying to use the Excel REST API to go to connect to those files, you'd be going directly to the version of the cloud, not the one locally. But it'll sync back. Yeah, yeah. So if I, and, and actually one other thing which is nice, so if I went and added the row to Excel, 
the, the OneDrive sync client on your local PC would sync that file so that if you're in an offline scenario, you'd, you'd see those changes. But the cool thing is if I have Excel open or if I have Excel online open viewing the Excel file, when I'm doing an API call to add the row, because we do co-authoring, which basically means we can all be in the same document, changing it, and we see those changes, when you do the API call to say add the row, in the browser version of Excel, you actually see the row come straight away, and it'll show you the author of whoever made that REST call. So it's really nice from that kind of real-time side that you can have a lot of systems like writing into these documents um, and be able to see in real-time that essentially the API calls are co-authoring alongside real people. And then obviously then, because it's in OneDrive, if you've got OneDrive sync client down on your machine, it's going to pull down that, that new change. And it, and it doesn't pull down the whole document again, it's just doing file diffs. Are all of these data APIs and everything that we're talking about here, all of that is wrapped up in that office.js that you're talking about, right? So, yeah, so the office.js APIs is used when you're using an add-in in the office client itself. Oh, okay. So if I've got a task pane or a ribbon, that's the framework you'd use. So it's, it's a UI library, not Correct. a data library. Yeah, the, okay. the data library aspect is the Microsoft graph, and that we have okay. an SDK for that. So you need to authenticate first to the graph. Uh, and that's just using Azure Active Directory. Uh, and there's a ton of information out there on Azure AD. Um, it's just an OAuth hook. You just get an identity token, and then you get a, an access token that allows you to call the appropriate, mm-hmm. with the appropriate permissions to get files or call the Excel API or get information about a user. Right now, we don't have a JavaScript SDK for that. We have a .NET, an iOS, and an Android one. But uh, essentially, it's just a REST call. And the nice thing is, is where traditionally Office has been really bad at kind of shapes and our APIs not ring very standardized. Uh, we stuck with a, uh, essentially OData 4 as a, a standard format that comes back in JSON. And so no, regardless of whether I hit the Outlook API to get mail information back from building 32 in Redmond, or if I go and try and get a file out of OneDrive from building uh, 35 in Redmond, the shapes and the formatting and the naming and the casing and the REST API and uh, the documentation is all the same. Whereas traditionally in the past, like they'd all go off and do their own thing and these guys would pick this way of doing authentication and this format standard for REST. Whereas now it's all standardized across all the products. So as a developer, you don't need to know the nuances of, okay, it works this way with OneDrive and this way with Outlook. It just, everything's the same off one graph.microsoft.com, which is, makes it really, really easy. If you're using, I mean, you, men- you mentioned Angular, you know, throwing that into a strongly typed object and then leveraging it in your spa straight away. Nice. So I'm, I'm also worried, or not worried, but I'm curious about security. Yeah. You know, you've talked about uh, OAuth as kind of your way of making sure that somebody is who they say they are and yeah. that they can access whatever it is that they're trying to get at. But beyond that, you know, just checking tokens, is that the extent of the security there? Or So the, the expert, obviously the access tokens and the identity tokens, much like, I mean, it's the same OAuth stack as what Windows 10 uh-huh. uses and... Uh, what all of the Azure stack is using right. and our, our own product. So when you log into our Office client with your username and password, you're using all the same authentication layer. And that's one thing that you know Microsoft, we decided that everything has to use this stack. And so you know it is kind of the central point of failure for everybody fail, which is running in the cloud, mm-hmm. so it doesn't. And what that allows me to do is expire those tokens. So you can't just kind of have this notion of, I got that token, now I can use it forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, the user that's using your web application will get prompted again for credentials to go, okay, we need to make sure you who you are. And that's all handled within, there's an ADL.js library, the Active Directory Authentication mm-hmm. Library, that you can just plug into your Angular application or your Ember application or your React application and kind of have that authentication dance, as I like to call it, handled mm-hmm. for you. 
but so from a security perspective, because it's something we use across all of Microsoft, you can ensure that from a, a security aspect like that, it is kind of bulletproof in that sense. Right. Yeah. Um, one thing that I can see, though, is that a lot of systems that I've used are built plugins for. Basically, the plugins are isolated from the main context in some ways. Right. And so when people authenticate... Does that authentication get shared down to the plugins, or do yeah, you have to I authenticate guess, separately? Uh, once you've got that token, you can pass that token into any of the plugins that you're okay. using. Uh, it is separated, it's, you know, it, but it's going to be in the page DOM. So technically, if those plugins are aware that that exists, they could go and grab it. Okay. A lot of what we see our partners do that are building products like on top of Office that leverage our APIs. There's various different ways that you could hide those tokens so they're, you know, they're they're, they're not accessible by other frameworks by uh, we've got one partner that actually uses an iframe to hide the, the scope of what's going on so that other things can't get at it. Okay. Um, so there's a few different techniques that the Azure AD team kind of recommend depending on what framework's using in JavaScript. If you can have a server backend, like if you're using Node, like technically you could mm-hmm. hide all that on the server side and right. have a facade on that, for instance. That kind of is s- separated from the Office story in, in a sense, but it is something that we get asked a lot by developers, like, you know, well, where should we be storing out these tokens that we're, we're using? Is it fine just to have these, you know, very open in the dorm, or should we be kind of <coughs> storing those on the server side and fetching them each time? Right. Yeah. And it's the user context. So when I hit, you know, Jeremy's awesome, webapplication.com, and it, at the first time I make a call to the Microsoft Graph, Mm-hmm. Uh, it routes you off to the Azure AD login screen, which is what you see when you go into Office 365 or when you log into any of our products. Right. And you put in your name and password, that's on their service. And then what it does is it returns the identity token back to your, your web application on a post. And then you handle that token from there, there on out. And so that's something, you know, like Azure are very, very careful of. People will try to spoof login pages or mm-hmm. kind of denial of service attacks that monitor all the time. So that's something that is, you know... I mean, all of our product services run on this, so it's very important for us that security is tight. Cool. AJ's actually our security expert. <laughs> Do you want me to ask a question? <laughs> yeah, if you have any that, others. That was like that a, a, a handoff. There was that kind of yeah. stare moment. So <laughs> uh, one thing I was thinking as you were talking, so the tokens, are you using like JWT where you have the metadata about the expiry in the token? Correct, yeah. So it's all JWT, and it, essentially... the what do we find with a lot of the people that are starting out in this is they'll have like Fiddler running in the background or something and just watching the traffic and having a look at what's coming through to get an understanding about it. Um, You don't need to go to that level. Like the ADL JS library kind of handles it all for you. But uh, sometimes it's useful, especially if you're getting errors in in what you're doing, to be able to kind of go to that level and have a look at the JOT token. Oh, look, it's expired. Or actually, we're not getting the correct permissions back in the access token because it's granular security. For instance, if my web application only needed access to OneDrive, but it didn't need access to my user's calendar or my user's inbox, the application, when it does that first login, when it does the dance of, I need access to this, you as a user will have to consent that application. A little bit like how Facebook apps work and, and right. so forth. And so that the access token I get back from the Azure AD service, essentially in that JOT token, declares exactly what uh, scopes it has access to. and. That's the token that you use to go get those call the, the services back. Okay. How is it that somebody would compromise the token? I mean, obviously, if they've got malware running on the device, you've got access to the whole yeah, device. Yeah, I mean, if they can fetch that token, they could then re- reuse that in the context of that user for a set period of time until it expires. That's essentially where you would what have about, that issue. Uh, so with, with Facebook, at least, you get two tokens 
you get your refresh token and your access token. Okay, your access exactly token yeah. is what you're using, but if you were to grab the refresh token, that thing can last for like a year. Yeah, the expiry is a bit different. Uh, I can't even, because uh, it's not actually my area of expertise, but it, it's not a year. That's It's a lot lower because of the fact that it's enterprise data we're getting at, so it's a lot more secure in that sense. Okay. Um, and you can also do things like it can be encrypted and signed too. So the applications have to be doing this over uh, encrypted tokens as well. So there are levels you can escalate it if you're very conscious of it. Do you allow unencrypted connections? Uh, the tokens are encrypted, but there's another level of encryption you can do on top. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just, I assume HTTPS is the uh, default. It's mandatory, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can go at the token level even further if you want to. Okay. But, um, yeah, so that, I mean, that the ADOR.js libraries, you know, just can easily be plugged in. They've actually built a special version of that library that works specifically with the Angular framework. But it's really easy to kind of get started if no matter what JavaScript framework you're using or none at all if you're a hardcore JavaScript developer, I guess. But um, I think the real benefit to JavaScript developers out there is that, you know, there's a lot of power in the add-ins that you can build in Office now. Like having that context of putting your product inside the user interface of Office where your users spend a lot of your time. We see a lot of partners now. Uh, we, we talked about one this week, which is the Starbucks add-in. It allows you that when you go and create a new meeting in Outlook, I can click the Starbucks button and it'll actually pop up a task pane. You can go, let's give this meeting 25 bucks and it injects the voucher code so that whoever's going to that meeting can pop into Starbucks, use that code and get the coffees for the meeting. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so there's, there's a bunch of those kind of things where you know they didn't have office dev skills. They were web devs. And we just kind of showed them that this is how you use it. You can use our Yeoman generator to scaffold out your, your project and just put your HTML and JavaScript here and here's the Office.js call to go and inject that into the body and they're away. Um, so there's a lot of benefit of kind of being inside our user experience because unfortunately it's where we spend a lot of our time is trolling for email all day long. So the Starbucks one is great because it just kind of totally makes sense. Like everyone's doing that. Um, and so Starbucks wanting to be part of that experience rather than kind of go to starbucks.com and fill out your meeting time and uh, location and we'll suggest your Starbucks location based on where your meeting is. Now it's kind of reading using Office.js into the location box within an event. It's looking who's in a two line and there's a bunch of other stuff they're doing there as well. So at the keynote, there was a lot about Cortana. Cortana, Cortana, Cortana. And I yeah. thought it was awesome. Yeah, and the I was so going to go there. So go there. Yeah, so... <laughs> so I, is this integrated at all with any of the, what is it, conversation intelligence of Cortana? Yeah, so the keynote's split in two, and so this is going to be odd because the show's going to be published after both have been played, but essentially we have this concept of uh, three pillars in office development. The first is the add-ins, which is all about being inside the office client. The second is all about our APIs, which is the Microsoft Graph. And a third pillar, which we've announced this week, is around engaging users in conversations. And for us, that's all about Skype. And it's also about Office 365 Groups. So Office 365 Groups, for like non-Office 365 people, is essentially a container that you can go and create, a bit like Google Groups, a bit like, I guess, Slack in a way, uh, where you get a place to put your files, you get a OneNote notebook to put your notes, you get a plan with like basically like Trello-like boards for managing your tasks, you have like a conversation thread, much like you do in Outlook for email, and then you get a SharePoint site where you can do like more advanced type collaboration. And so in these groups, you have this notion of having a connector that allows you to have things injected into your conversation thread. So what we'll show tomorrow is a partner called Zendesk, which is like an IT help desk support mm -hmm. system. Yep. 
And what they've done is when a new ticket gets raised in uh, Zendesk, it'll actually post a new card inside the conversations view within your group. And then you can start making comments about that card. Uh, or you can click on the card and go launch Zendesk and see the ticket. So it's really about this notion of, from a conversation perspective of my team lives in my group and I'm chatting all day in there and allowing me to have a, essentially what it uses is a webhook to call a webhook to then promote and, and push that card into the conversation and then kind of build it. And then the other one, which they did show you in the keynote, was uh, the Skype notion of I can embed Skype into my web apps. So, do, you, oh, do, yeah. do you know what this sounds really reminiscent of? Google Wave. I was thinking that too. Yeah, so when I first saw groups, I was like, wow, that's interesting that, that you know, the, the notion of kind of adding things into this wave is very similar to this conversation flow. And, you know, I think a lot of people see it and they compare it immediately to Slack. Uh-huh. And I think the, different, the main difference between Slack and this is that Slack is very much a real-time uh, notion, whereas Office 365 Groups is more of a, um, I would say it's more like a modern distribution list like it's you know you can join the group much like you used to join a DL uh-huh. and the conversations is happening more on email traffic as opposed to Slack so I'd say Wave is more on the real time side of the house but it's just interesting that now we're saying like you can inject into that DL for lack of a better word and then have conversations around what's going on in other systems uh, and there's we announced 50 connectors today so there's a bunch uh, you can even have like I build 2016 hashtag which you wouldn't do because it'd be very noisy but you mm-hmm. can have you know like aggregated reports of here are the tweets that happened in the last hour that use this hashtag or uh, Salesforce you know here's a new customer that got created in Salesforce and injected in mm-hmm. and and then you start your conversation in the group around those activities that are happening right. so that that's that conversation aspect is cool um, and is. then the other one was Skype so the ability that I've got a web application MD Live is the scenario we're using the keynote tomorrow where it's a doctor's portal. So I'm logged in as a doctor, you're logged in as a, as a patient, hopefully not really all. And then you can embed a Skype chat directly in, but you can also do voice and video too. And it's a right. few lines of code. It's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. So when I log in as a patient uh, to my pa- you know, the portal, uh, if you're using Azure AD, then it's going to know straight away and it's going to know your Skype identity and allow you to go. If not, it's going to prompt you for your Skype creds and I can ha- start having my conversation with my patient at my desk without having to have the Skype program installed right. and as you saw with the chatbots we'll get a lot more intelligent on the portal itself like the whole web application having intelligence on okay there's a voice call going on and he just mentioned the word liver for instance mm-hmm. and your web application could have a hook that went okay I'm going to show some information about the liver of that patient or go look up information from a doctor's journal and show it on right. the screen so you'll be able to kind of like have monitor your conversation that's embedded inside your web application and make intelligent decisions outside of it based on those hooks of uh, translating your voice or monitoring what you're chat- typing and chatting in the chat window mm-hmm. as well so th- those two things are really strong and I think where things have gone is, is it's just so easy now to integrate those things in. Like the Skype team have made it super simple just to kind of embed Skype directly in and have those hooks out to your, whatever you're writing in JavaScript. Now, my understanding is that you can write Skype bots and the Cortana integrations with Node.js. Yes, yeah. So they're all platform agnostic. I think one of the, excuse me, the decisions we made really, really early on in the process of Skype and even with the Microsoft Graph FDKs and the Office stuff was we didn't want to pick a framework right. because they come and go as much as someone goes, no, this one's here to stay. Like We've yeah. all been there. We've seen them crash and burn. I mean, just recently there was that JavaScript library that basically broke every framework 
and and yeah. so we didn't go. We're going to pick React, and you're going to have to use a React to work with this Skype thing. We've essentially written it in such a way that it will just work across all frameworks without conflicts. And they do a lot of testing across all those things. Now, what we will do is, for the most common ones, as we get the demand, we'll build SDKs that makes it easy to throw it into Angular and, and use directives, for instance. Or right. uh, if you're in Node, use that those that, that mm-hmm. language. Or in React, we can build some components. Right. And, and so we're kind of waiting to see where the interest is based on the frameworks and the audiences on which SDKs we tackle first. Mm-hmm. We've made some educated guesses on Node, for instance. Right. But yeah, we will. I, I can absolutely see us coming back and doing a React one and an Angular one, Angular two, and probably an Angular one one as well. Well, I think it's a better strategy anyway to write your code to work with multiple frameworks yeah. because then, I mean, honestly, when you want to create an Angular service, it's it's just like any other package manager writing that five lines of code up top right. and the two lines of code down bottom, and then you've got an Angular service right. now. Well, the other thing is is that you, across many businesses and across many concerns you're going to have different people wanting to use different technologies. Right. And so if you make it easier for people in Go or Ruby or JavaScript or any of these others to effectively say, I want to use this, I want to wrap around the API, maybe even start building an open source version of it, then this experience kind of gets spread across the web and has the effect on the way people use it in their mobile apps and on the web and on their computer to where it reaches all kinds of demographics and has a major yeah. impact in the way that people interact with their machines well beyond just keyboard and mouse anymore. Yeah, and I think what, it'll be interesting to see which partners jump on this or even like enterprise devs in-house mm-hmm. building applications start to leverage this in what they're building. Yeah. You know, obviously the Starbucks one from the office audience is like a no-brainer. You look at it and go, wow, that's awesome. That's just fixing a gap that yep. would have been a bunch more extra clicks. I think with the Skype and the group conversation connectors... It's going to be interesting to see which partners pick that up mm-hmm. first. And you know, having 50 connectors out of the bat, I thought was quite surprising as well, that our team's back at base done a really good job of going out yeah. there and reaching out to Zendesk and going, look, this scenario really makes sense for you guys. You should you know, go and build this. Yeah. But um, I'm excited to see kind of where that goes and what kind of Skype integrations people build into their mobile applications or their, uh, their web applications for sure. I think, the, I think the Starbucks example is also really great just from a business standpoint because in a lot of cases... If they have a standard operating procedure of get food for the meeting, yeah. then then it saves them the clicks. But right. for Starbucks, a lot of those folks are going to schedule a meeting, and then you know they've been fiddling around with this, so they have the Starbucks plug in there, and it says, "Hey, do you want to allocate some dollars to this meeting for food?" And they go, "Oh yeah, that's a great idea." And so right. then Starbucks then benefits from that as well. Yeah, and it's visibility. Like when we first launched the Office add-ins, we kind of hit it a little bit. Like when you had to ins- launch a task bay, you had to kind of go to the insert ribbon mm-hmm. group and then click on add-ins and find it. Whereas now we have the ability that we can push installs to like everyone in the organization, mm-hmm. and immediately the Starbucks ribbon button shows up or the PayPal ribbon button shows up for for the client. And uh, the, the cool th- thing about the Outlook uh, example with the Office add-ins from a reach perspective is that uh, Starbucks can build this and it works not just for Office 365, i.e. like work and school people, like people using it in business. But the Starbucks adding also works in Outlook.com. So for right. the you know, 40 million users of Outlook.com, more than 40 million users of Outlook.com that are out there kind of like doing normal email like they would do in Gmail, they can now go get that Starbucks adding from the Office Store and, and use it. Uh, again, no matter where they're using Outlook, whether it's in a browser or Mac, PC, you know, it doesn't really matter. And so there's a definite value in, like, you write this ad in once, uh, mm-hmm. but it will run everywhere, not just work and school, but also in that personal world as well. So I think, you know, at Build, we're, 
like, like we did last year, we're seeing a lot of interest from startups uh, that want to go to uh, a group, you know, an audience that already mm-hmm. exists and go, like, let's just see whether we can get market share here by just being visible yep. in the store and, and people discovering us that way rather than kind of force-feeding marketing through, you know, broader channels. And we've seen a lot of partners be very successful in the, in the office store through that as well. That makes sense. Let's say I'm building a messaging application. Would I be able to use those uh, APIs at all? Or is it only for Skype and for designated partners? Uh, you, you'll be able to, I mean, the API is open, so you have to register much like you would register when you go to Microsoft Graph to have permissions to go to the Files API or the Mail API. You would just basically register to go use those chat APIs and, and build them out. So I could have my own you know, Slack type thing or an IRC bot right. and have my IRC bot feed here's the piece of conversation and then get back. Correct, and get that. And that's all webhooks based. So okay. essentially you subscribe to webhooks or you push off to your own services and handle that work. Yeah, they, they mentioned Slack and Telegram in the keynote. Well, it, yeah. And also SMS, I remember. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so actually it was my friend Richard Zariga who built the build bot. I don't know if you've used that yet. So you can SMS uh, the build bot and go, when is Jeremy's session? And it will like, basically look at the whole schedule list and go, there are three sessions by Jeremy, which one do you mean? And then you could like, this one, and then it will return more information about that session, the location, what the capacity is of that, uh, the session, that kind of thing. And so he, he built that very quickly. The last week, actually, it was like a last minute kind of like, what we need this build bot, let's just show off the bot and have the attendees use it. He's frantically running around, like making sure this thing's all good and people aren't asking you odd questions like the last bot that got shipped a few weeks ago but um, uh, but yeah this one is definitely proved useful and I think uh, a lot of the, the kind of the feedback I've had from the keynote is oh it seemed that we were overreaching on the bot stuff it's actually really useful you know because yeah. um, you know I can go to the session list on the build website and see all the sessions but just kind of having a conversation with a bot is actually it's more natural I think and, and I, I'm again that's another area I'm like wow I really can't wait to see what which partner goes and builds something really cool on a bot and you'll be like this will just be part of normal day to day life in uh, yeah. you know a matter of years much like um, I have Alexa at home I you was going to say I can't be without Alexa now like I go into one of my friend's homes and like start asking Alexa to play music I'm oh that's right I'm not home anymore like it yeah. I think it's the, the bot's aspect even plugged into Alexa would be amazing once that gets going too well and, and that's how Alexa works is that you effectively add skills which are a lot like these bots right yeah that's right and so Alexa, as far as its capability for parsing what you want, it, it's kind of horrendous. Yeah. But when you get a new skill in there and it knows when you say these words or these kinds of words right. in a sequence, it means go look up this app and apply this API in this way. Right. And it sounds like the yeah the Skype bots and the Cortana plugins all work kind of yeah, in the same a, way. Yeah, and it'll be interesting uh, with the Cortana stuff in terms of you know, you did say like Slack is there as one, for instance, and, and, and SMS is one, and mm-hmm. um, the Telegram. It won't be long before that that list is a lot longer. I would imagine with other partners like Alexa, so you can actually kind of lock those in. It's not the area I'm an expert in, but you, you can imagine that that's probably not far around the corner in terms of that aspect. And it, it's an interesting approach that Microsoft as a company has taken on, saying, look, we're not building this so it only works with Cortana on Windows. We're just saying, look, go build your bot. We know you use a bunch of different platforms. But if you build them here and deploy them here, you know, we're, we're, you know that's the area we want to be in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's very, very easy to do, too. There's, a, there's um, a lab section over here, and you can kind of go and build one step-by-step instructions in about 10 minutes from scratch. So it's, nice. that side of it's really, really neat. 
In fact, I was going to say we've kind of gone a little bit afield from office. Yeah, that's right. Office. Totally um, out of my realm, but fortunately a, uh, a colleague works in that team, uh-huh. so I'm kind of a little more... So, so my other question about office and office add-ons in particular is that because they're HTML and JavaScript, yeah. do you style them with CSS? Yeah, good question. So when, when we first shipped this three and a bit years ago now, uh, we just said, yeah, you can just do what you like. And then we got feedback from customers and uh, partners that we're, we're trying to mimic what Outlook looks like or we're trying to mimic mm-hmm. what PowerPoint looks like so that it right. feels part of it rather than like, I'm a developer and I can't make things look pretty. And so last year we announced something called Office UI Fabric. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, it's very very similar to Google Material design, right. but it's actually what we use internally. So when we're styling Word Online, Outlook Online, PowerPoint Online, or we're styling the Mac, or we're styling the Win32 version of Office and so forth, we're using that library. And it gives you the ability to leverage all those style sheets and mm-hmm. uh, c- common controls like people pickers, right. file pickers, the persona cards we have that you see in Outlook when you click on someone's name and it kind of comes up with a card with all their details. You can leverage all those components directly in your web application. And so we've seen a, a much better consistency of look and feel now when you go to the store and you add add-ins that they look all the same. There's a bit more uniformity. Like They still have their own brand. Mm-hmm. So the Starbucks one looks like Starbucks, but they're using all the same controls that we use in the product. Right. So it doesn't feel so jarring when you open up the task pane and see Starbucks or PayPal. Or mm-hmm. So effectively, you could use Office Fabric UI yep. to build out your button and then you're saying, but this is a Starbucks button, so I'm going to tweak the style a Correct. little bit yeah. and maybe get uh, give it a little bit of that Starbucks green yeah. or maybe put a logo in it or something like that so that it has its own feel. Yeah, yeah. And so it's really a baseline right. for, for developers. And again, it, you know, it's been done in such a way that it's framework agnostic. Mm-hmm. There's an open source project, actually, that a guy called Andrew Connell has built out uh, to build them all as Angular directives as well. Mm-hmm. So you can essentially just you know chuck a, an Angular directive on the page, and it's a lot less lines of code, and it's more kind of Angular dev friendly to be able to use the people picker or, and so forth, which is cool. Yeah. Or calendar control, the date pickers, essentially everything you see in Office. There's a, a fabric equivalent of it, mm-hmm. uh, and it's all open sourced. And uh, actually, a lot of the team are here this week getting feedback, and uh, they've been great. Like we, they've had a bunch of teams go. We'd really like these hooks in these components. Can you add them? And they've been very reactive at kind of getting that into the fabric and getting it out there on the CDNs really quick. So effectively then I could build a plugin that looks like it belongs in Office right. that uh, has the button that when I, I click it, it can connect to the graph APIs that Microsoft has for all yep. of the stuff, including documents and calendars and email and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it can also hook into some of this conversational stuff so I guess what I'm saying is is it looks like it's part of the application, but it has these vast capabilities that Microsoft provides as part of the platform. Right, and, and, and so then there's some really cool scenarios, like the, the Salesforce one, for instance, where you're in an email in Outlook, mm-hmm. and you want to go and store that against your customer, where traditionally you would probably like have to remember what the Salesforce email address is that right. you forward it to. Now you just one-click in Salesforce, it goes and scrapes the body, the title, who's in the two line, the date of when it was sent, and then it calls the Salesforce API mm-hmm. and pumps it over to Salesforce. So it's not just our APIs that you can call in an office setting. You, you know, it's anything you want to do because it's just HTML and JavaScript. Right. And we've, we actually this week have launched um, 
uh, authentication kind of dialogue display window that allows you to pop up like the first time you do anything with the Salesforce API it will open up a dialogue API uh, that allows you to kind of put in your Salesforce creds and it handles the tokens back and then like right. your adding can use it whereas before our partners are having to build it themselves so we've got that feedback and kind of we've added this kind of much more streamlined way of handing authentication to any service from inside of Office add-in, whether it's Outlook, Word, PowerPoint, Excel, OneNote. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's fun. Do you have any, you have any other questions or anything you want to... No. So um, if people want to know more, uh, the dev.office.com is our website. Okay. Uh, we have about 80 hours of training videos based on whether you want to use the graph or whatever the services are available or if you want to build add-ins. Is there a tutorial up there? Yeah, and there's okay. step-by-step labs too. So each okay. of those videos has an accompanying step-by-step lab that you can follow. Um, and all you need is an Office 365 tenant. So you can go, if you join our developer program, which is on the homepage of dev.office.com, we'll actually give you a free developer tenant for a year. So you can okay. kind of get started and play. And you know, you, if you're building Office add-in, you can just use the web browser because you can use Outlook Online and Word Online. Right. But if you've got Office for your Mac or for your PC, you can test the add-ins locally really, really easily as well. I guess, I guess that brings up one other thing that I, I didn't think about before, and that is that then can you build... I guess you have the Graph API, so you could conceivably build plugins or widgets to go on a non-Office website. Absolutely, yeah. To, to put that stuff so in. So I could have foo.com running on you know, the Node stack and call off the Microsoft Graph. You use Office UI to fabric to style your standalone application and make uh-huh. it look like an Office adding, even though an Office right. application even though it isn't. Um, right. And then, actually, one thing I didn't mention is that you don't need Visual Studio to do this. Right. Um, essentially, it's a website running HTML and JavaScript, and then it's a, what we call a manifest file, an XML file that you upload into your Office client so that it knows. It's kind of a way of registering the add-in. Right. Because it's just XML, you can write that yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the experience in Visual Studio file new project is an F5 is going to be a lot nicer. But you know, with the Yeoman generator, we can even scaffold your files out, so you don't even need to use Visual Studio if you choose. So, for the Mac audience, like it's very very straightforward to kind of use without having Visual Studio installed. Right. So effectively, then I could put a widget on my page that has some functionality that calls back into the Graph API and right. you know store stuff in a document or updates my calendar or whatever. Yep. That's that's pretty darn slick. Does that work with browser plugins? We actually had at a hackathon a guy build a Chrome plugin that called the Microsoft Graph. And it was a really neat add-in. What he did was he was using... He had a button where essentially it would look through your mail using the Mail API. Mm-hmm. And it would look for any uh, unsubscribe hyperlinks in each of your mails. Uh-huh. And when you push the button, it would essentially go and open in uh, multiple tabs all of those unsubscribe links. <laughs> so rather than going into Outlook and clicking on every email and finding the hidden unsubscribe link, they make really... Like sometimes it's like gray on gray, so you can barely see it. Uh-huh. But it meets the legal requirement. This thing kind of just goes through and just opens them all. And in some cases, what he did was he automatically like checked the button and clicked, I do want to unsubscribe. Uh-huh. And so it was a really good way of like clearing out all the junk mail from your, your Man, inbox. Man, I need that. I use yeah. Gmail, though. So Yeah, I, I believe he mimicked it on a plugin that existed already in the Gmail world. But it was just a great example of a, you know, a guy that had built Chrome plugins before that authed into our graph and grabbed the mail, mail inbox information and, and used the unsubscribe links. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up, uh, one of the things that we usually do on our show is we have our guests do what we call picks. I don't know if you've listened to like twit.tv or something. So, so basically the idea is it's just anything that you like that makes your life better, that you enjoy. Uh, we have pe- people pick TV shows or pick coding tools or pick cool. movies or whatever. So 
I, I don't know how creative AJ and I are going to get if we're doing f- three or four of these in the next two days. <laughs> but but for you, I mean, if, if you could pick a couple of things, you know, yeah. like, what, what, are, what are you into these days? You, you said TV shows. I just picked up a new show. I finally upgraded my cable box to an X1 Xfinity box. So it's kind okay. of the interface is way better than the old crappy cable boxes that you get. Mm-hmm. And uh, discovered a show called Billions, which is it's the guy that's in it was in Homeland. Okay. He was the, the soldier that came back from being captured for six, seven years, and you never quite knew whether he was turned as a terrorist or whether he was a, a, you know, a genuine soldier come back from war. But he plays this billionaire, and then there's this guy that's basically after him trying to work out whether he's corrupt or not. Very, very clever show. I'm kind of like one of those shows that you watch the first few episodes and Netflix style, like, do you want another one? He's like, no, no, please. Like, I need to go to bed. I got billed next week. But we <laughs> plowed for about eight episodes. So um, Billions is a really, really good show on Showtime. Okay. So that, that's a, that was a good one. That's kind of kept me busy the last week. Oh, there you go. Well, if you start looking tired, we'll know why. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've stayed up <laughs> watching the rest of the show. No, I think my uh, girlfriend would get annoyed if she knew I'd watched it without her. I'm sure oh, you that's guys right. have the yeah. same problem, right? You should have brought her with you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, the last thing you want to do is bring a girlfriend to a tech conference. <laughs> yeah. I, I took my wife to a tech conference, but you have to pick the right one. Yeah, I mean, she's a registered dietitian, so she has no clue about this world. And, you know, sometimes when people come up and visit us in Redmond, I'll take them out for dinner and she'll come with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she's th- at the end of it, she's like, I had no idea what you guys were talking about for yeah. last hour. No, what I did is I took my wife to a conference that I was speaking at in Hawaii. Oh, that's a good and, way And I abandoned it. her yeah. in Waikiki for yeah, three I'm days. Yeah, I'm sure she wouldn't be complaining too yeah. much there. So she went and got her nails done and whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that works. San Francisco, I think you could have a good time. Yeah, but, it's yeah. great. I, I mean, I used to live in New York for three years and uh, I've been in Redmond now for two and coming back here it's, you know I've missed the big city a little bit but I'm mm-hmm. glad to go back to Redmond as well and a little bit more peace and quiet not so much concrete gotcha well just to wrap up so you did mention dev. dev.office.com yep. are there any other resources that people should look at that, that, that one's the main one that'll kind of bridge you to getting started or get you all the training and the hands on labs experience dev.office.com slash podcast will go to the podcast that I run weekly uh, and we kind of go into a lot more detail about okay. each endpoint and get the engineers on on shows talking about stuff too sounds good and then are you on Twitter or I GitHub am, or anything yeah. where people at, can follow at you at jthake so j-t-h-a-k-e yep alright so if you, if you want your office stuff or if you're interested in Azure app services that's kind of the two areas I focus on right now good deal cool well thanks for coming on the no, show you're we welcome. appreciate glad it. you carved out some time for us to chat yeah enjoy the rest of the build yep real quick before we finally end this I just want to shout out a real big thanks to the guys from .NET Rocks Richard Campbell and Carl Franklin they invited us out to do this and it's it's been terrific uh, just to be able to meet people to go to some of the events and uh, we're sitting in this little booth in the very back of Build so anyway I just I just want to thank them publicly we'll probably do that on all of the shows that we do this week but yeah it's it's really important for us to be able to get all kinds of different backgrounds and you know see what's going on in the Microsoft world because I don't I don't know that we really cover it enough on the show. So thanks again for coming, Jeremy. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks to those guys for uh, doing their thing. Enjoy the rest of the build. Yeah, we will do. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests.